I've never really gotten into gardening. My grandparents were great at gardening. My mom is, is great at gardening and both of them have cultivated beautiful flower beds. I know some of you love to garden and are really great at it. I've just never, never, it's never appealed to me uh, in that way as, as like a personal hobby. I've just never really gotten into it. But for some reason over the last few weeks, we've really, uh, really started doing a lot of gardening around the house. Uh, planting stuff all over the place. Uh, maybe it's because we moved to a different house and this is our first spring season living here. So there's some excitement around that. Maybe it's the effect of COVID-19. The isolation is giving us something to do. Uh, anyway, I found myself over the last few weeks really getting my hands dirty in the soil, pulling weeds, planting plants, and, and hauling mulch. I don't think I ever really got into gardening because for me it's just been uh, labor that I didn't want to invest time and energy into. Hard labor that really I, I just really didn't enjoy. But over the last few weeks, it's felt really good to get off the couch and get out of the office and get off the TV and do some work in the yard. The thing is, I get to choose to do this work. I get to choose to get my hands in the dirt and help things grow for, for my pleasure and uh, the pleasure of my family. No one's coaxing me, no one's making me do this. I get to choose what kind of labor I want to undertake. My wife and I wanted some new things planted and some garden beds cleaned and, and I chose to undertake that project. I got to thinking about the idea of choosing and I concluded that just about everything in my life has come through a choice that I've been able to make. I chose to go to the college that I wanted to go to. I chose the area of study that was interesting to me. And my wife and I got to choose the kind of house we wanted to move to and where we wanted to live. Uh, multiple times we got to, to make that choice, you know, uh, no one made us stay in a neighborhood we weren't comfortable in. In fact, we, we lived in, really lived the American dream by choosing the next house we would move to and the next one after that and the one after that, each one maybe being bigger or more our style or in a more desirous location than the previous ones. The jobs I've taken on or the career decisions I've pursued have primarily come from my choice to, to make a change or to move up the ladder or move across country to take on a new adventure. You know, when you think about it, a resume is really just a, a tool of choice that tells people, hey, I'm ready for a change and here are the reasons why this is a good fit for me and this is a good fit for you as well. My life is defined by the choices I make and with that I have lived a very privileged life. Maybe you can relate to that. For most of us, the places that we go, the situations we can take advantage of, the difficult labor that we participate in through, through our jobs or hobbies or goals that we set for ourselves are, are driven by freedoms and the choices that, that we make. And as I look at my life, I'm feeling very free. I don't have a huge bank account. I don't live in a very luxurious house. We don't get, a, get to get up and, and travel to exotic places on a whim, but in this life that I live, I feel very free. But what if I wasn't free? What if instead of choosing to, to dig in the dirt for my own enjoyment, my own pleasure, what if I was forced to do hard labor for, for other people and their enjoyment, their pleasure, and their prosperity? How would I feel about that? Instead of living a life that, that feels pretty carefree, how would my life be different if I felt I couldn't get out of the neighborhood that was maybe falling into disrepair or maybe even falling into violence? What if I had absolutely nothing to my name and the message that I heard all around me over and over and over again was, hey, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, start making good decision, decisions and you'll, you'll find that reward. But what if changing my life circumstances wasn't just as easy as working harder and pulling myself out of the pit that I found myself in? 
if the good jobs left the neighborhood and I was scraping by maybe two or three jobs, but never enough to get me out for that bigger and, and better opportunity, what would it really feel like I had a choice in the matter? Would it really feel like I had control over my own life? What if my past, my ancestry was so steeped in bondage to others? Would it feel like the American dream was within my reach or was that just for those other people who, who didn't look like me? Even though we were supposedly past all of that, what if it still haunted me like a shadow around every single corner? What if I got side glances when I ventured into a part of town that wasn't my own? How would I feel if when I walked down the street, people started checking their wallets or concealing their valuables? What if when I walked down the street, people automatically felt the need to cross over to the other side? Would I feel like I was filled with the same optimism that I, that I feel right now, right here in the life that I'm living right in this moment? I bet that if my life was built on people avoiding me or looking away, that, that my life would start to be consumed by that narrative. I'm the outcast. I'm the one people should stay away from. I'm the one that no one is ever going to look favorably upon or find value in. I, I might even feel that I, I deserve to take what I want because no one was going to help me out, even if it meant doing it through violence. The reality is, is that since the beginning of time, humanity has looked at one another and decided that since you're different than me, you aren't allowed to be in my circle. Since you're different than me, it's, it's really no big deal if I, I treat you differently than, than those other people who are, are more in line with how I look, how I dress, what I do, or what I like. This is how kingdoms and empires are built. You are different. You don't bring the value that some of the rest of us do. And so we can just use you as, as we see fit. Heck, look at our own country. Whole industries at the start built on the backs of, of slavery. Wars fought that would decide if we could actually all be free or not. And we can sit back and try to justify, well, it was a different world back then. They really had no other choice. They were, they were only doing the best that they could. It really wasn't that bad. Look, look at, it got them out of those, those savage nations and they came to live in a place of, of civility. It doesn't matter what the arguments are, and we've heard them all. Humanity has a way of bringing some down, bringing some people down and lifting other people up, saying, heck, that's just the way, that's just the, way the world works. And it's a story as old as time, and, and we look at the world around us, the country we live in right now, and, and, and we see the story still plays out today. Some of us are, are privileged to live in a world full of choice, and some of us sit on the sidelines looking in, maybe even feeling like there is something holding us down. There was a group of people long ago that struggled with the same thing. After they enjoyed much success and, and freedom and God's blessing, they found themselves at the other end of the spectrum, living a life of slavery and oppression, being forced to do the, the hard manual labor that, for someone else, not for their, their own pleasure, their own lives. Towards the end of the book of Genesis, there's a man named Joseph who finds himself a slave in the nation of Egypt. The worst part being that he sold into slavery by, by his own brothers. And after a few years and some ups and downs, go check out the story if you can, if you're not familiar with it. Joseph, he finds himself in, in the court of Pharaoh, the king. And because of some, some interpretation of dreams, he finds that he has Pharaoh's ear. Long story short, Joseph, guided by God, is able to help Egypt weather a huge catastrophe that comes over the great nation and over other nations in that region. 
Joseph tells the Pharaoh that there are going to be seven great years of harvest and he should take what is produced by the land and, and store it up because following there are going to be seven years of trouble and terrible famine. Pharaoh agrees to his plan and even puts Joseph in a, a position of power and, and second command over all the land. When the famine hits, not only is Egypt able to survive, but other people, other groups come to buy the grain that's been stored up, including Joseph's own family. And by the last chapter, uh, a couple of chapters of Genesis, we find Joseph and his family, about 70 plus people or so, living in Egypt and receiving blessings from the Pharaoh because of what Joseph had done as he followed the will of God. In Exodus, the, the next book in the Old Testament starts out telling a very different story. Exodus 1, 6 through 8 says this, Joseph and, and all his brothers and all that generation eventually died. But the Israelites were fruitful, increased rapidly, multiplied, and became extremely numerous. So the land was filled with them. A new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. Oftentimes when we encounter something that's different than what we're used to, or maybe something new, uh, something just plain different than what we want, oftentimes our response is fear. You can be fearful about a new activity you might be, uh, might be trying out. You can be fearful about a new place that you may be going to. Maybe you can even be fearful about other people you may meet. Many times we fear what we don't understand. Here we find the Pharaoh of Egypt operating out of fear because of what he's seeing in the Hebrew people. The text says that he did not know about Joseph and what he had done for his kingdom. Now somewhere along the line, the stories stop being told. The stories of prosperity and provision were replaced with the cares and the burdens of, of that day. The new problems at hand. And the story of Joseph was swept under the rug and all that Pharaoh saw was a people group that he did not understand. And he says, he says in the next couple of verses, verse 9 to 10, Look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further, and when war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. Look at his words. They are more numerous and more powerful than we are. When Pharaoh looked out over his kingdom and saw the Hebrew people, he didn't see a people that were allies and contributors to, to the Egyptian prosperity. He saw a group that was different than his people, and he was moved by fear because he felt that he couldn't control them. And oftentimes we fear what we can't control. If he had looked out and, and seen a group of people that were co-contributors, partners to what they were doing as a nation, he might not have reacted with such fear. He didn't celebrate their diversity. He didn't celebrate the, the blessings that God was bestowing upon that Hebrew people. Uh, he, in fact, the blessings that God was providing for them became a threat to him and the people in power. Pharaoh during Joseph's life, the Pharaoh who was with Joseph, he got to know Joseph, was willing to listen to his advice and, and counsel, even though Joseph was not like him or his own people. As second in command, I'm sure that Joseph enjoyed many conversations with the king. And, though those conversa and through those conversations, a, a respect for one another was, was built, a partnership was founded, and a time of joint prosperity was ushered in, and a nation grew stronger because a king had the peace of mind and, and the presence to allow someone who wasn't like him into his inner circle. When I read this story, there are a few things that I wonder about. This isn't found in the text, but I'm, 
I'm wondering if the new Pharaoh even knew one of the Hebrew people at this time. I'm betting not. I'm betting that there wasn't one in his court or in his inner circle, and my guess would be that there was no longer a connection between the two people groups. I'm wondering if the Hebrew people were no longer seen as contributing members of society. I'm wondering if they even had a uh, representation so that their voices could be heard. I'm wondering if the Hebrew people were regulated to the other side of the tracks. I'm wondering if, as you walk through the cities of Egypt, if you saw signs that said, no Hebrews allowed, or Egyptian wells only, Hebrews, get your water outside of the city. I'm wondering if when resources were passed out to the citizens of the nation, if they looked over and said, well, we don't have to help them out as much as we're going to help our own people. After all, each Hebrew, he doesn't really count as a whole person. During that time in history, families that were growing were considered blessed by God. If you were having babies and your family is growing, you must have been doing, you must have been doing something right. God must be happy with you. Pharaoh looked out and saw that the Hebrews were growing in number and, and didn't see a blessing, but saw a threat. Maybe the Egyptians were experiencing a time when their population wasn't growing as much. Maybe there was a jealousy as he compared the two groups of people. Maybe Pharaoh looked out and didn't see his nation growing in diversity as a positive thing, but maybe he saw it as a threat to what he had. What he saw was a group of people who had been blessed so much that their numbers were a threat to his own kingdom. If they got too big, then there's a real chance that they will join our enemies and fight against us. They, they're, they're growing. They're getting more and more, and we're going to be getting less and less. We're going, to be getting, we're going to begin to lose what we have. Our country is going to change too much. They're going to demand more and more, and I'm not willing to let go or give up that wealth and power that we have built up for ourselves. And we have to do something about that. And he was driven by the fear that their gain meant his loss. Now, Pharaoh tries to enslave that what he fears. And the writer of Exodus tells us in uh, verse 11 through 14, the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. They built Python and Ramses and and supply city as supply cities for for pharaoh but the more they oppressed them the more they multiplied and spread so that the egyptians came to dread the israelites they worked the israelites ruthlessly and made their lives bitter with difficult labor in brick and mortar and all kinds of field work they ruthlessly imposed all this work upon them now if you will allow me to use a graphic image right here right now this was a knee on the neck kind of moment he took away their freedom. He took away their ability to make choices for themselves. He meant to kill them as a people, and his fear led to enslavement. And not only enslavement for the Hebrew people, but for the nation of Egypt as well. Because when we fear something so much, we start to be controlled by that thing that we fear. It results in our own enslavement as well. Pharaoh expected the people to be controlled with his new order. Keep them busy and they won't have the, the time to make new babies. Make the work hard enough and they'll lose hope and just bend to our will. They're just dirty shepherds anyway. But God has a way of working even in the midst of our suffering. Even during a trial or a moment of pain, God is still looking over at his people and saying, I've got this. My blessings can still get through. And what happens, the Hebrew people become even more and more prosperous and they multiply faster and greater than before. 
Now, if you're Pharaoh and you're looking out and you're looking down saying, this is not how the plan was supposed to work. And the result was that he enslaved, he was enslaved by his fear more and more and more and more, so much more that the Egyptian people began, they began to dread and, and loathe the Hebrew people. Have you ever been really angry about something? It could be an experience. It could be a past hurt. It might even be a person. And you were so angry with that situation that all you could think about was that situation. Not to get silly, but you see this in superhero movies where a villain gets so set on the destruction of a hero that all reality gets thrown out the window. The whole movie has the villain brooding and planning and scheming about how how to get rid of their nemesis. And his hatred for the hero is often the cause of his own downfall. The, so- the thoughts of the Egyptian people became so consumed by their, their hate and their fear that they, they drove their oppression of the Hebrew people harder and harder and harder. Now sit back for a moment and use the logical processing part of your brain. You there? Good. Okay, you see a people that's growing faster and stronger than you are, and and your best course of action is to put them into bondage. Hold them down. You take away their rights, you take away their freedoms, you give them food just to stay alive, but not enough to thrive and not enough to get stronger. You take away their spare time so that everything they do is is for you. And after all of, of this, what happens? They keep getting stronger. And instead of connecting the dots and saying, hmm, something is going on here beyond my control, you know what the best course of action is? Let's, let's treat them worse. Let's press them harder. Let's, let's make them work even harder. What do they say in the world of psychology? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. Pharaoh's mind was bent on their destruction, bent on their oppression, bent on getting all that he could get from them. And, and this became all-consuming for him because we are enslaved to what we fear. He may have thought that he was enslaving the Hebrew people, but the reality was he was becoming a slave himself because of his anger, his bitterness, and quest for control and power. The Hebrew people sat under the oppression of the Egyptian people, and yet God continued to bless them and add to their numbers. You see, God sees what you need. God never leaves his children alone on their own. Do you know that your Heavenly Father sees you right now and understands what you're going through? Your Heavenly Father sees you and says, I I know you're going through a tough time. It may seem hopeless for you. You may feel like you can't stand up under the pressure, but He says, I'm still here to bring you a blessing. I'm still able to bring something beautiful out of the pain that you're experiencing right now. And here we see Pharaoh falling into another trap of fear. When we operate out of fear, we, we try and recruit others into our fears. Exodus 1, 15 through 18 says this, The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, the first whose name was Shipra and the second whose name was Pua, When you help the Hebrew women give birth, observe them as they deliver. If the child is a son, kill him. But if it's a daughter, she may live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt told them. They let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this and let the boys live? His solution wasn't working and his problem was getting bigger and he brings in a team to literally kill off that problem. Have you ever been killed by someone? 
<laughs> what what did you say? Of course not. I'm sitting right here. What what a ridiculous thing to say. What a ridiculous comment, Pastor. But have you ever had someone gossip about you? Have you ever had something happen in your life that 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 put you at odds with someone else? Did that person bring in their their friends or family into the circle of sharing without letting you know? Have you ever found yourself torn between two friends because of a, a, a disagreement? These are ways that we recruit other people into our pain. These are all ways that we try and, and kill each other. We try to kill reputations. We try to kill character. We try and kill someone else's opportunities in life. Now, for this country, the Civil War it was a huge deal, really big deal. One of the reasons it's a big deal is because it was the point in time that ended slavery as we knew it in this nation. It was a time to celebrate. It was a time to grant long overdue freedoms to a group of people who, in reality, hadn't even considered, they weren't even considered fully human. But did you know that even after the Civil War, people were still trying to put the black citizens of this country down? You see, right after the Civil War, black Americans were given the right uh, to be part of community and, and given the right to take part in the voting process. But even as free people, there were others that put obstacles in place to, to try and hinder that, to take away the rights that they had fought so hard to secure. It wasn't like for another hundred years that black Americans would actually be guaranteed the right to vote as citizens of the United States. You see, fears, they die hard. A fear can become all-consuming and will motivate us, motivate us to do everything in our power to control the situation, control other people. Now, if you're the midwives and you got, uh, you're called in by the most powerful man in the land and he asks you to do something, you know that refusal to do that could result in your own death. The book of Exodus says that the midwives feared God. They respected God. They, they honored God. They followed God. And they did not do what the king asked. And they let the newborn babies live, the boys live. And Pharaoh calls them back and said, I thought we had a deal. What in the world is going on? We got this problem that needs to be dealt with. Why in the world am I hearing the cries, the healthy cries of these newborn baby boys? Exodus 1, 19, 21 says this, The midwives said to Pharaoh, The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwives can, can get to them. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very numerous. And since the midwives feared God, he gave them families. We may try and recruit others into our fear, but every once in a while, we meet those brave people who will stand against tyranny. Real heroes rise up when, when they see injustice and, and they say, no, I'm not going to be a part of that. I'm not going to fight for those who can't, I'm not going to fight those who can't fight for themselves. I'm going to fight for them. We've been allowed to have power, and we're going to use that power for the good of other people. These midwives, they feared God, and they said, this is not how our God would want us to act. Violence is not going to solve this problem. When, when Jesus uh, was being arrested, one of his disciples picked up a sword, ready to fight off the soldiers. But Jesus told him, put it away. If you live by this sword, you're going to die by the sword. Violence may seem like the only course of action that we have at any given point of time, but Jesus reminds us that what violence does is it just produces more and more violence. And the midwives stood against the command given by the king and said, we can't walk down that path. 
It's really interesting that the next chapter finds a man named Moses, who, by the way, is going to help deliver the Hebrews from their bondage, from their captivity. But we find Moses using violence to try and solve his problem by, by killing an Egyptian taskmaster. And after that act, he has to spend 40 years in the wilderness before he is ready to lead his people to freedom. Out of their obedience to God, the midwives didn't kill off the newborns, and God rewards them with families of their own. The same thing that the Pharaoh sought to destroy, God continued to use as a blessing for the people who chose to follow him. In Exodus chapter 1, we see a king driven by his own fear, and the result of that fear is to enslave a whole people group that, that isn't like him, a, a group of people he probably doesn't even understand, even doesn't, he doesn't know. I'm sitting here in my garden and reflecting on the fact that I live in a world where I have a great personal freedom. I have personal choice. And I have to choose between holding on to those freedoms for my own personal gain or using those freedoms to help other people who may find themselves that they may not be in the same position that I'm in. This is the plight of our country right now. There is, there's a great divide between the citizens of our nation and the chasm is only getting wider. And until we actually solve the heart issue behind this, the conflict may continue to grow. Until our hearts are changed to, to see that everyone is created in the image of God, we will continually put up walls that separate us. Until our hearts change and we see that power and wealth are not the rewards in the kingdom of heaven, we will continue to see violence and hatred between the haves and the have-nots. Until our hearts grasp Jesus' message of sacrifice and grace, we will continue to live in fear of losing what we have. This is why FBC leaders are, are calling for a time of prayer tonight, 6 p.m. at the church. Prayer for national healing, prayer for a heart change for those who are using this as a, an opportunity to tear down and destroy. Prayer for those who feel like they've got nothing to lose because they've really had nothing to begin with. And prayer for our law enforcement officers as they wrestle with what it looks like to protect and to serve. In the end, Pharaoh put out the command that all the baby boys were to be thrown into the Nile River. But God said enough is enough, and his plan was set in motion to set his people free. What the king used for evil, God used for good to display his glory and righteousness through a fledgling nation that he had called his people. May you come to know how deeply God loves you. And may we see how deeply God loves the other people in this world all around us. Let us look upon our fellow man with compassion and a spirit of, of grace because we are all made in the image of God and in our need of the, the same Savior's healing touch. Let's be the instruments of change in our communities and in this country because as the body of Christ, it is our responsibility to represent heaven here on earth. And may the people we interact with each and every day see the light of Jesus and experience the grace and love that comes from his gospel message.